0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope.
1: In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, what an absolutely beautiful text for us to consider in the Gospel reading this morning, especially in these gray and latter days when it seems to us like the world is tumbling upside down. Jesus takes the occasion of the Pharisees who are plotting against him to teach us, his Christians, how we are to live in this world and especially how we are to relate to the governing authorities and especially to the governing authorities which govern against the wisdom of the Scripture. Now, in the text, it's Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus is teaching in the temple. It's his last public teaching. And the scribes and the Pharisees who hate Jesus and are trying to destroy him Uh, Bring him a question about taxes. (laughs) They begin by flattering Jesus, and you could see right through it. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words, and they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and that you don't care about anyone's opinion. And that you are not swayed by appearances. Do you see that they're buttering Jesus up so that he'll, he'll say, he'll be bold enough to say something that'll get him in trouble. Now these guys think they've got Jesus. If you could see it in your mind's eyes, I mean, here's the Pharisees and they're sending their disciples and they're off in the corner and they're just overflowing. They're kind of giggling to themselves. We got him now. But Jesus sees right through it. Now these Pharisees remember want Jesus dead but they don't want his blood on their hands. So they're trying to accomplish the death of Jesus in a way that only appears right. So then they spring the trap. After this, you know, after they butter him up, they they ask the question. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, the history and the context is important. It was the year 63 B.C. that the Romans made Palestine, the entire Holy Land, really, a a Roman province. And the Jews, from that point on, were being ruled by the Caesar. Herod the Great was put on the throne there by Caesar. It was the Romans who gave him the title King of the Jews. And when Herod died, his three sons took over, but they were still ruling for the Romans, Archelaus was the ruler in Judea. That was the third son of Herod, or one of his sons, but one of the three that were ruling. And that was Jerusalem and the surrounding country uh, for maybe eight or s- years or so. But he was such a disaster of a king that the Romans pulled him out and they put a governorship in place. And they would fill that man, that office, with their man. Pontius was the man during the life and ministry of Jesus. That's the Roman governor ruling over the Jews. Now, this Roman occupation of the Jewish country was, a, was, was hateful to every faithful Jewish person. They despised the Romans, and they considered the Roman presence in Jerusalem and the Holy Land to be punishment from God, and it probably was. Now... In the eyes of the Pharisees, one of the worst things a Jewish man could do was become sympathetic to the Roman occupation, you know, to politically take the side of Rome. They had a slur for those men. They were the Herodians, those who followed Herod, see? But notice that on this day, the disciples bring some Herodians with them. (laughs) You know, the enemy of your enemy becomes your friend kind of thing. Now, so much did the Pharisees despise the Roman occupation that their expectation of the Messiah, who was promised to come, their expectation was that his number one chief work would be to overthrow the Roman government and to set up an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. That's what when they thought that John the Baptist might be the Messiah, or when later they thought that Jesus might be the the Messiah. That was their expectation, that Jesus would throw off the Romans and take control of the land. The people expected a revolution. The Messiah would be like the great priest kings of old who would raise up an army and lead them into battle and fight and throw off the Roman occupation. Now, the place for the Jews, and this is still true for us, the place where they felt the pain of the Roman occupation the most was where they had to pay taxes, (laughs) And that's the same for us. When the government comes along and takes money from you because they're the government and you are the governed. The Pharisees hated paying taxes to the Romans, but they paid them. In fact, if there was something worse in the eyes of the Pharisees than being a Herodian, it was a Jewish man becoming a tax collector, like Matthew. Because paying taxes was much more than just handing over some money Refusing to pay taxes was rebellion, an act of treason. And paying taxes was an act of subservience. Now that's the situation. Now the Pharisees sent their disciples to Jesus there in the temple with Herodians in the crowd to witness what Jesus says, and they asked Jesus this question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And we see the problem instantly. If Jesus says, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then the people would know that he is not the, ex- the expected Messiah who was going to come and lead the rebellion, right? They would reject Jesus, throw him off. You're not the Messiah that we expected. You're not the Messiah that we want. If, on the other hand, Jesus says, no, then the Herodians who were there could go back to Pilate or to whatever centurion had guard over the temple and report Jesus to them and have him arrested for inciting a rebellion. So either way, Jesus says yes, or Jesus says no, he's in trouble. At least that's what the Pharisees think. Now, here's the point where I think there's something more for us to consider. I think that these two options, the yes or no to paying taxes, have bigger names to them. And they really are two different categories of how we understand our life under governmental authority. People generally take one or out of two practical philosophies, and we can call them quietism on the one hand and activism on the other. Now, quietism would be the unquestioned acceptance of governmental authority. You you go along with everything that the government says, dictates laws and policies that come from the government. They are the highest authority. Lutherans in history have been considered and accused of being quietists, but I hope this isn't true. The quietist says, Caesar is the ultimate authority. Whatever Caesar says, that is what we do. Now, Christian quietism takes a lot of different forms, but one of the ways that it manifests itself is that we think, well, the world belongs to the devil, so we're going to leave it to him. And the church withdraws from the world and all sorts of worldly engagements and focuses instead all of our attention on the world to come. Quietism. The other, and that's give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Uh, the other is activism. Activism. This is the opposite of quietism. It's a a kind of a revolutionary idea. Activism wants to take control of the world, to make the government a Christian government. Activism is always fighting, always rebelling, always working really to establish the kingdom of God on earth. The Pharisees, remember, expected the Messiah to be an activist or more, a revolutionary An activist says, don't pay taxes to Caesar. He is an illegitimate government authority. Now, I think that in one way or another, all of us are tempted to one of these two postures. I I imagine that you can see yourself in one of them or the other. And I suppose that we change as we go through our life. And maybe we even change depending on who's elected in, in government. When our guy is the president, then we have a tendency to be more quietist. And when our guy... Or when our not-guy is president, then we want to be more activist and rebel against things. See, And this, when we see the world falling off the rails, when we see that the government's idea of what is good and what is bad is growing farther and farther away from what the Scripture teaches is good and bad, then we are tempted even more to these extremes of quietism and activism. The quietist becomes very passive and withdrawn, almost despairing. And the activist becomes very revolutionary and very angry. Now, Jesus is neither. He is neither a quietist or an activist. Listen listen what happens when they spring the trap on Jesus. Jesus, the text says, aware of their malice, says... Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. So they bring Jesus a Denarius, and Jesus says to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they say, Caesar's. And then Jesus says to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him, and they went away. Now, this is beautiful. With one line, Jesus undoes the Pharisees, and he undoes us. He puts everyone in their place. Caesar makes the money. Caesar has the courts that punish the people that break into your house and steal your money. Caesar has the armies that keep the enemies out so people don't come and take your money and your life. Give Caesar the money. But even Caesar, says Jesus, is a man under authority. Caesar is not God. Caesar himself has a God and is responsible and and accountable to him. And there is a higher authority also for us. So when Caesar demands a breaking of the commandments or a breaking of God's order, then we follow God and not man. Now, this is neither quietism nor activism. I don't know actually what it's called, (laughs) but perhaps we could just call it living according to God's institutions. Perhaps this is our doctrine of vocation. Because we know and confess every day that God has created the world and He has created this world with a certain order. There are estates. In fact, there are three estates. The estate of the family, the estate of the church, and the estate of the state. There are institutions established and protected by God. The institution of marriage and home and church and school and the public square and the town hall and the courtroom and so forth. Now, all of those orders and estates and institutions are established by God for the purpose of supporting and upholding life and chastity and property and all of the things that the Lord protects in the Ten Commandments. Now we understand... Also, that each of us has a place in these institutions. And our place in these institutions are our vocation. And we understand more that Jesus himself has put us there. He has put us in this earth in our various vocations so that we might love our neighbor. So as citizens, we pay our taxes and we obey our government as much as we can without breaking the commands of God. But when the government goes beyond its God-given authority, then we say simply and with great confidence, No, I must obey God rather than man. I will render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but I will render to God what is God's. One of the dangers, I think, that we face today, especially a temptation for our own elected officials, is forgetting that there is a higher authority than the state and that rulers will be accountable to God. This is a great line where Luther says, the kings who rule in this world have to be careful to rule in wisdom and righteousness so that the prayers of the Christians are for them and not against them. (laughs) And that is true. But what do we do when we see... The government pushing us farther and farther from what we know to be good and true. I mean, uh, what do we do in these days when it seems like the world is on its head? Well, the answer really is simple and humble. We remember that the Lord has given us vocations, and we live in them. We are not called by God to worry We are not called by God to fear. We are not called by God to be angry, or I suppose we are, but we are to be angry without sin. We are called by God to love, to love him and to love our neighbor. And according to vocation, we remember that our neighbors have a name. Our love for the neighbor is not abstract. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, be subject to your, to your husbands as the church is subject to Christ. Children, honor your father and your mother that it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. Workers, work with diligence as unto the Lord. Bosses, take care of your workers Knowing that they serve the Lord and not you. Citizens, be subject to your rulers in as much as you can. Pay your taxes and pray for those in authority over you. And rulers, govern with wisdom and pursue truth. You have enough to do with these things, I promise. But look, even though Jesus confounded the Pharisees that day in the temple, with his render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. Uh, That didn't stop them. They still hated Jesus. And though they couldn't, through deception, bring him to the cross, they could, by attacking him, stealing him out of the garden while he was at prayer, dragging him before the court and before Pilate, they could still take him to the cross. And Jesus submits to them, and goes to the cross for you. Now this Jesus who died for you has given you all sorts of vocations. Citizen, child, father, mother, friend, neighbor. And all of these vocations are for you law. (laughs) Pure law. Pure command. And all of this responsibility that Jesus has given to you, in the end it condemns you. But there is one more vocation, dear saints, that all of you have, and this is the best. And it is the reason that you are here this morning. It is the vocation of Christian. The vocation of being baptized. You, each one of you, and me, according to all of our other vocations, are sinners, and nothing but sinners. But according to this vocation, according to your baptism, you are forgiven. You are covered with the blood of Jesus. You are wrapped in His robe of righteousness. You are declared perfect. And though we fail day after day to be faithful and good citizens of earth, We are, by the mercy of Jesus, citizens of heaven. We are righteous and holy and called by his name. We are saints. And while we labor in this world to love God and love our neighbor, this is our confidence and our freedom and our joy that Jesus loves you. And while we fail in our vocation, his vocation of Savior was perfectly fulfilled for you. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.